There's no real reading attached to the talk tonight as such, but I thought it would be helpful for us to read some words of praise, a song of praise from the Bible. And so we're going to read, if you have your Bible there, from 1 Chronicles and chapter 16. The ark is placed in the tabernacle and David wants to give thanks to God. And so he delivers a psalm to Asaph in order to thank God. And when we examine this psalm in uh, First Chronicles chapter 16, we see that it's actually uh, a lot of sections from the psalms brought together, from the book of Psalms brought together. And uh, we'll not read the whole thing, but we'll read a fair chunk of it. This is a song that was sung in thanks and in praise to God. This is God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance, when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honour and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Well, I'm going to stop the reading there, but we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on to sing more and more about who God is and what God has done. This is a, a, a song which speaks to us of how we are to praise God and why we are to praise God. And so singing in worship is something that's really, really important for us. It's something that God's people clearly have always done from the very early days of the church. Whenever God's people were rescued out of Egypt in the Exodus, well, Miriam sang a song. She sang a psalm of praise to God. We see this throughout the Bible. And we're given these songs in the Bible. And so singing and worship is important for us. 
singing and worship is something we're commanded to do time and time again in the scriptures. And that's what we're going to think about this evening. But before we get into that, it might be useful to just review some of the topics we've thought about previously. We've looked at things which are foundational to understanding worship. We've talked about the regulative principle. That's the idea that we only do in worship exactly what God commands. We do no more and we do no less. We, we do what God commands us to do in worship. We've talked about the dialogical principle, the, the fact that worship is a dialogue. It's a conversation between God and his people. We talked about the elements, the forms and the circumstances of worship and talked about the distinction between those things. And last time we, we talked about some of the specific elements. We thought about how we read and hear the Bible. We thought about what it means that the Bible is preached in worship, and we looked at praying the Bible. Well, this week, we're going to think about singing the Bible. I really hope that as we've walked through some of these elements and looked at this topic of worship, that it's given us a better appreciation of exactly what's going on every Sunday in public worship. And, and I even hope that it's made us long for the return of public worship. It's made us long to be back, gathered together once again. I hope that through our learning, our own personal commitment and devotion in worship is deepened. Because what's going on in worship is not trivial. It's the most important thing we can do. It's the thing we have been created for, communing with the God of the universe. And so understanding it better is only going to enhance what's going on for us. It's only going to enhance us in, a, in the spiritual nature even of worship. At least that's my hope and prayer. Like I said, perhaps one of the things we've missed most through lockdown is being able to sing together. Isn't it a joy that, that when we gather, we are able to sing together and hear one another's voices? Online videos can be beneficial, but they cannot replicate congregational singing. Even when we have, have been gathered together over the last year, well, we've been limited, haven't we? We've been limited to singing quietly, wearing masks. And I hope that someday soon we will be able to return to gathering together and singing out with great gusto praise to our God. But it does have to be said that while it's a clear command in Scripture, and we enjoy doing it, it's something that gives us pleasure and delight, music has been perhaps a more divisive issue in the church over the last 150 years or so than any other issue. I don't know the situation in Kings Mills and Jarrett's past terribly well. I, I, I'm not that long the minister. I don't know if music has been divisive in the past in these congregations, but I know it has in other places. And I'm a firm believer that prevention is better than cure. So perhaps now is a good time to think about these things before we return to public worship. And you also know that I've come in as the new minister and 
and we've been singing at least one psalm in worship every week. Well, why? Why is that something that I believe is important? And what exactly is the thinking that goes on behind the songs that we sing in worship? Well, before we get into the answers to those questions specifically, I want to demonstrate again why it's important to think about these things at all. Why is it that we don't just sing anything, any old thing in worship? To demonstrate this, I want to read some song lyrics for you. Here are lyrics to two songs. The first goes, I love him, I love him, I love him. And where he goes, I'll follow, I'll follow, I'll follow. I will follow him, follow him wherever he may go. There isn't an ocean too deep, a mountain so high, it can keep me away. I must follow him. Ever since he touched my hand, I knew that near him I must always be, and nothing can keep me, keep him from me. That's the first song. The second song goes like this. Your love has ravished my heart and taken me over, taken me over. And all I want to be is with you forever, with you forever. So pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. Because your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. Now, here's the question for you. One of those was a pop song, and one of them is a contemporary worship song. I wonder if you can guess which one. You might have recognized one of them or the other. The first one was a 1960s pop song. Uh, it was recorded by a lady called Peggy March. And the second one is a worship song, a so-called worship song uh, from Bethel Church. Now, I've only, put, I've only said a little bit of each song, but it really saddens me to say that the Bethel song doesn't get any better. And genuinely, if I had to choose one of those two songs to sing in worship to God, if there was only two songs in the whole world, I would choose the pop song. Now, I'm not against contemporary music in worship. Uh, I'm not against uh, the, the, the modern songs that we might sing. The, the style of music is not something that I oppose. But I want to give a, an idea for us of, of what it is we, we might believe about the songs that we sing in worship. What should they be like? How can we avoid falling into singing something just because it sounds good. Well, the main thing I would say about the songs that we sing is that they should be biblical. They should be biblical. But to break that down a wee bit, I, I want to give three things. The songs that we sing in worship I think should be corporate. They should be intelligible. 
and they should be God focused. They should be corporate, they should be intelligible, and they should be God focused. Let's start by talking about corporate. And by corporate, I mean they should be sung by everyone. They should be sung by the whole congregation at once. I think this keeps us from error in two directions. There are two ways we can go in error by singing corporately. First of all, it keeps us from individualizing the singing of praise. The time of singing in public worship is not a time for me and God to be alone together. It's something that we do together as a congregation. It's not just about me and God and ignore everyone else. It's something we all do at the same time. And the other direction we might go in error is to allow a worship service to become like a performance. I think that is possibly a hangover from Roman Catholicism. I've said before that in the Western Catholic Church in the medieval period, the priest did everything for the people in worship. All the people have to do is be there. Well, I think I've seen some churches treat their praise band that way. People stand and watch the praise band play and sing, and everybody else just listens. Now, that's not an issue with a band. It's not an issue I have with certain instruments. I need to point out it could easily enough happen with a choir, where the choir performs and the congregation just sit and listen. We're not participating, we're just listening. In everything I've said over the last number of weeks, I hope you understand that the congregation are always active, always participating in worship. And so the most important thing in congregational song praise is that the congregation sing. Now, it is a personal thing. I am praising God personally when I sing, but I'm doing so as part of the whole. I'm doing so as part of the congregation. And so a band or a choir or an organ or a soloist, a vocalist, I should say, well, all of those should accompany the congregation's singing. They should never replace the congregation's singing. Singing in worship should be corporate. One body made up of many parts, all performing the one action together, singing praise to God together. And so when I go about choosing the things that we sing in worship, it's my intention, at least, to choose things that are relatively easy to sing, because I want everybody to be able to join in. Now, my gauge for that is myself. If I can sing it, my assumption is that everybody can sing it, because I'm not a good singer. So I'm the gauge for that. But if I'm choosing things that are difficult for everybody to sing, let me know. Let me know about that because everybody should be able to join with the singing. Where do I get this from the Bible? Well, we saw it in Ephesians last year, in Ephesians chapter 5. But we see the same idea in the parallel passage in Colossians. 
in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing about the unity of the body. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he, he teaches that unity is demonstrated in the body. He tells us to bear with one another in love. He tells us to forgive one another, to put on love, which binds everything together. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So singing is an act of unity. It's something we all do together. It's something that unites us. We demonstrate our unity through singing together, but it also helps us foster unity. It creates unity within the body of Christ. We sing teaching one another. We admonish one another as we sing to each other. You know, it's one of my great pleasures that as the minister, I get to stand and look at everybody else as we're singing. I get to, get to actually teach you through song by looking at you. I wonder if you've ever thought about looking around as you sing. Ever thought about looking at the other people who are singing with you? As Paul puts it in Ephesians 5, 19, he says we should address each other. Perhaps that's something we can do when we're back in public worship together again. Well, the second thing our praise should be is intelligible. It should be intelligible. That means it should be easy to understand. So if we sing the old hymn, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing, and we come to the line, Here I raise my Ebenezer, someone could rightly say to me, hold on a minute, what on earth is an Ebenezer. What are you talking about? What are you asking me to sing? Well, those of you who know your Bible well, you will know that we can go to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We can look up what an Ebenezer is and we can explain it. So we can understand it. But as Daryl Hart and John Muther point out in their book with reverence and awe, what is the river that is flowing in Shine Jesus Shine? Listen to the words of Shine, Jesus, Shine. Shine, Jesus, Shine. Fill the land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. So we've got the Jesus. We've got the Father's glory. We've got the Spirit blazing. And then we've got this river coming along. No one's been able to explain to me before what the river is. It appears to be some mysterious fourth member of the Trinity. I think it's confusing. At best, it could be described as nonsense. Now, I'm sorry if anybody loves Shine Jesus Shine, but it's not something that I would choose for us to sing in worship. It's confusing. The songs that we sing in worship should be understandable. 
so that we're genuinely building each other up, that we're genuinely encouraging one another. If we can't explain the meaning of what we're singing to God and about God, well, then I think we're on very dangerous ground. What we sing in worship should be truth. There are plenty of lies and falsehood out there in the world and in here, in our hearts. At least the things that we sing, we can be thorough, we can be sure to make sure that we are singing truth in accordance with the scriptures. So they should be corporate, they should be intelligible, but the final thing is that they should be God-focused. I think there is a danger of internalizing some praise. And this connects back to it being corporate. But we can be tempted, I think, to sing songs which are about me and how I feel. We saw that with the Bethel song. This problem stems from some parts of the church. It stems from some parts of the church who equate salvation and equate their relationship with God with an intense personal and, and often emotional experience. And so that causes people to sing about how they feel rather than singing things that are true about God. Now this has the danger of making the individual person the object of worship rather than the infinite and eternal God. Singing shouldn't ignore how we feel but it should direct us to God with our feelings. I love the quote of Carl Truman, uh, paraphrasing a, a philosopher called Philip Reef, when he says that we don't come to church to have our sadness turn to gladness. We come to church to have our sadness explained. We come to church to have our sadness explained to us. We come to church to, to understand why the world is in a mess. Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? We come to church to be directed towards God with those feelings. And so singing in church should be able to take a whole range of emotion and feeling and direct us towards God. God who is our delight, who is our joy, who is our peace who is our comfort, our help, our refuge, our righteousness, and so on and so on. Instead of looking inward and despairing at how I feel, no help is going to come from in here. Instead, we look to God and sing about who he is. Well, let me mention the Psalms at this point. The Psalmist experiences many emotions many emotions which are present in our own lives. And you only have to read through the book of Psalms to see that. You don't get very far before you realize this guy is having a tough time. There are times when he is exalting God in praise. He's joyful and delighting in God. And there are times when his face is in the dirt, when he is depressed, when his tears are soaking his pillow all night long. But he always turns to God. The Psalms always turn us to God. Think about Psalm 42, where he speaks to his own soul. 
He preaches to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I yet shall praise him, the help of my countenance. This is why we need to sing the Psalms. Because the Psalms reflect back to us how we're feeling. Have you ever felt cast down? Have you ever felt low in your soul? Has it ever been disquieted within you? You need the encouragement of Psalm 42 to hope in God. I do believe that we should take the, the New Testament commands to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We should take that seriously. But I also think it's really good for us to sing about our emotions and feelings using God's own word. That avoids us from slipping into, into pride, from slipping into self-loathing, from slipping into just thinking about ourselves. That way we know we're not in error when we're singing about our feelings, when we're singing about God. It's good for us to sing God's word. The same words of praise which have been given to us by God himself to help us sing in worship. The Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. They're the songs that Jesus sang in worship during his earthly life. It's good for us to sing God's word in church. And I am trying my best through the use of, of a more modern rendering of the Psalter and tunes that we're hopefully all able to sing to make sure that the Psalms and paraphrases that we sing are both corporate and intelligible. But we can be sure that they are God-focused because they are taken from God's own word. I think this also means that the songs we do sing, whenever we're singing songs or hymns, well, they should be shaped like psalms. And what that means is they should develop on a theological or pastoral theme over a series of verses. Again, pointing us, leading us away from ourselves and leading us to God in worship. As praise to him and encouragement for one another. Singing is such an important part of worship. Like I said, it's the thing that we might have missed the most during lockdown. The things that we sing should be biblical truth about the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They should be corporate, intelligible, and God-focused, united together as one people, singing praises to God for his great salvation that he has reached down and rescued us from the pit of sin and death, praising Jesus that he has died on the cross to bring us all the blessings and benefits of God's kingdom. And even, even folks at the very end of all things, when Christ has returned and this world has been renewed, we will continue to unite with all peoples, tribes and tongues as one church, singing praise to our God. Let me finish by reading a section from Revelation chapter 7, which gives us a glimpse into this heavenly worship service. I hope you will see everything that I've been advocating in these verses. John writes, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, 
saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.